Okay, I'm going to continue even though some of the folks are not back yet because we have just one hour left and uh, I'm trying to squeeze seven hours into six. So I'm going to have to uh, pick up the pace a little bit to get everything covered before we're done. Anyway, if, uh, if people's hearts are inclined toward God, they will listen to our message. There are two essential attributes that characterize the church of the last hour that John brings to our attention. Uh, the church that is prepared to meet the hostility of the world. And the first one is the absence of hatred. Now I'm pausing here so that that sinks in. One of the characteristics of the last hour church is the absence of hatred. We'll talk a little more about that in a minute. And second, the demonstration of love. Because if you love, you cannot hate. And if you hate, hate, you cannot love. John says, chapter 2, verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother, that means fellow human being, no matter how hostile that person may be, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, that is to say is living in God's light, which by the way is the only light around. All else is darkness. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and does not know where he is going. He's lost his way. Why, John says, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And what did Jesus say? Matthew 5. He says, do not resist the one who is evil. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. That's from his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. You know, we read that and we said, does he really mean that? Is that really possible in this world? Oh, yes, he means it. And yes, it is possible. This is the principle that determines how the church of the last hour meets the demands of that hour and without which it cannot fulfill its mission. Whoever does not love abides in death, John says in chapter 3, verse 14. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know, remember, he's drawing lines, he's not equivocating. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. First John three fourteen, and following. The spiritual reality demand 
is that we find the way to live faithfully as church, as ecclesia, the called out ones in the last hour. The way of life that overcomes the world, a life of love for God and for the hostile world, the reality of which is demonstrated by faith that obeys his commandments, especially in the midst of hostility. Now, I want to say something. We have a mixed group here, and that's great. I'm, you know, praise the Lord. But I need to tell all of you, I, you know, I'm 80 years old. I lived through most of the 20th century. And I am aware of what agonies my country has gone through in terms of human relations. I can understand, I, even though it's difficult, but I can understand hostility between people, between races, when it comes to the world, the, the hostile world, I cannot understand it in the church, in the body of Christ. Because like John says, we, know, we ought to know better. We are different kind of people. So when I see racism within the church, no matter who it come from, comes from, you know, and I'm, I think I'm wise enough to know that uh, racism is not confined to just one race. Huh? But when I see it in the life of the church, it's deeply distressing to me because we don't, that's not the way we know Christ. When we look at each other, we should see Jesus not color of skin. We are one in him. You know, so if, if you covenant to do anything while you're here, you know, if I could make an appeal, this is not a, an evangelistic meeting, I would invite you to stand up and say, I am going to live according to that principle of love for the rest of my life. And when I look at a fellow believer, I'm going to see Jesus, not the color of their skin or the shape of their eyes. You know, come on, folks, let's cut that out. And I want to say something else, although I risk making a political statement that I don't want to do that. Do you know what the best thing is about the election of Barack Obama as president of the United States? Because it symbolizes the fact that in this nation, racism is over done, at an end. The only problem is some folks don't believe it, especially the ones who make, uh, you know, who, who benefit either politically or economically by perpetuating it. But among us, you know, who understand the principles of God's word, it's over. You know, whether you agree with the political philosophy or not, that is a major factor. 
in the fact of his election to the presidency. And oh, I'm delighted by the fact that both the white and black race can claim him as their own. Half of him belongs to me, <laughs> to my race. So hey, let's covenant to do that, huh? Will you agree with me? Among God's people especially, it's over, done, finished. Let's move on in the time we have left and do the right thing. Now, we have learned that uh, the world of fallen humanity that is in the power of the evil one is full of hatred for God's people and for his church. And that the condition of the world in the last hour is that of widespread hostility toward God, toward his truth, and toward his people. And this kind of hostility should not surprise us because we know and understand his word. He says, don't be surprised that the world hates you. We need to be ready for that. And prepared to meet it. He's told us that Satan is furious with the woman, with the church in, in Revelation 12, 17. And went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. So on. There are two essential attributes, I said, that characterize the church. One is the absence of hatred and two, the demonstration of love. Because if you love, you cannot hate. And if you hate, you cannot love. In other words, the atmosphere in which the Christian believer lives is that of righteousness, not that of sin. This is the divine principle that determines how the church of the last hour meets the demands of that hour and without which it cannot fulfill its mission. And he, John, characterizes the condition of the world as darkness. The world is dying in its darkness. Life is not possible in darkness. You have to have light to live. The world has to have light in order to survive. In complete darkness, nothing can be seen, neither good nor evil, nor danger or safety. Evil, danger cannot be avoided in the darkness because you can't see either one. Good, safety cannot be followed for the same reason. Light is absolutely necessary in order to avoid danger. to expose evil and reveal good, to show us the way, in other words. Light illuminates darkness, hides the contrast between darkness and light is so obvious. When I get up in the middle of the night, I have to turn the light on or I'll stumble all over the place, bump into furniture, trip on my shoes. Darkness does not come into light. Light comes into darkness. Hmm. 
Genesis 1 verses 2 to 4 says that darkness was over the face of the deep until God said, let there be light, and there was light. It was light that came into darkness. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. In the beginning, all that there was was darkness. Darkness was there before there was anything else. And God did something about that. He brought light into darkness. Light came into darkness. And I want you to notice the next time you read the account of creation, God did not call darkness good. He called light good. We've always seen an allusion to the coming of Christ the deliverer as well as the great controversy in Genesis chapter 3 verse 13 when God said to Satan I will put enmity between you and the woman he shall bruise your head but there seems to be an illusion allusion to the gospel as early as Genesis chapter 1 the first three verses when God brings light into darkness isn't that grace isn't that the gospel? When people say grace, the grace of God was first manifest in the New Testament story. Oh, come on. It's right there in the first, in the first verses of the first book of the Bible. He acts, in other words. He takes the initiative. And this is the first manifestation of his grace operating on behalf of the whole universe when he brought light into darkness. And Genesis 1 tells us that God separated the light from the darkness. That God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, to give light upon the earth, sun and the moon, he's talking about, to separate the light from the darkness. Now, was that separation meant to make the contrast most obvious? Light is more powerful than darkness. Even the moon reflects the light of the sun. It doesn't have its own light. God created light for our good. Mankind was not made to exist in the darkness. Can't live in darkness. Literally, darkness is the absence of natural light. But light is not the absence of darkness. Can you see that? God created light for our good. Remember when Jesus was on the cross, Matthew 27 says, from the sixth hour, that was noon, according to Jewish time, there was darkness over all the land, over all the earth, until the ninth hour. 
Jesus was crucified in the dark. It was a dark deed, an evil deed on the part of humanity. In the middle of the day, there was darkness over all of the earth. Because it was a dark and wicked deed, that unnatural darkness speaks volumes concerning the evil in the human heart. In spite of the fact that, as John in his little, his uh, third little letter says, excuse me, the third chapter of this, I'm referring to the third chapter of his gospel, verses 19 and 20. In spite of the fact that light, Christ, has come into the world, people love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. The Bible describes darkness as a place of misery. In the parable of the wedding feast, the king tells his servants to take a man who had no wedding garments and cast him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, he says. The Bible describes the grave as the land of darkness and deep shadow, the land of gloom like thick darkness, where light is as thick as darkness. That's from Job, the 10th chapter. Jesus used the contrast between light and darkness to illustrate the contrast between righteousness and lawlessness. In 2 Corinthians 6, Paul says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? The Adventist church's principle respecting marriage rests on that statement. And that's why our church is so careful to counsel young people, don't marry someone who doesn't share the same faith that you share. Because if you do, you're headed for trouble, discord, disharmony. I've seen it over and over in my ministry, young people. I know it's a fact. One of the things that breaks the heart of pastors more than anything else is, to, is the responsibility to try to help a married couple preserve their union. And that's hard to do if both partners are not committed to the same principles. Darkness characterizes the condition of the whole world that lies in the power of the evil one, as John puts it. What a sad and a depressing picture. What would physical life be like if there was only darkness? Not pleasant, 
depressing. Don't you feel better when the sun shines? It's going to be cloudy today, but I watched the weather report this morning, and it says that Sunday is going to be sunny all day. And I said, oh, good. That's the day I drive, start driving home. Doesn't sunshine lift your spirits? When spring comes, you feel so great, you know. The days are getting longer. You have more light, more warmth of the sun. In 1 John, we find that God is love, in verse four, chapter 4, verse 8. But we also find that God is light, chapter 1, verse 5. And in him there is no darkness at all, John says. When everything in the last hour appears dark and forbidding and fearful, that's mighty good news to hear that God is light. And in him there is no darkness. God brings light into the darkness of the world. How does he do that? Number one, first of all, by his own presence, because he is light. And then secondly, the coming of Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah when he said, uh, repeated by Jesus in chapter 4 of Matthew, verse 16, the, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has shined has dawned. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He is the light of the world. He is my light, your light. And then number three, in the last hour, God's people have a special role to play. Acts 13, 47 says, I have made you a light that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When you surrendered to Jesus and were baptized, he lit a light in you. Jesus said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father, to give credit, give credit to, to your Father who is in heaven. The darkness of the world in the last hour is not the, the time for his people to wring their hands in hopeless despair. It's a time to shine instead of wine. God's people do not join the rest of the world in its whining and complaining. Because as he said, we already are light. So let it shine. Be what you are. Be what you claim to be. It's the final opportunity for those that are in the light 
or that are light to be what they are, light. To be what God has made them to be. John makes it absolutely clear what walking in the light is like and what it is meant to, to accomplish. He says the darkness is passing away because the true light is already shining. Light is needed the most when the darkness is the deepest. That's why he says whoever, he's, whoever says he is of the light and hates his brother, his fellow human being, no matter how hostile that person might be, is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, is living in God's light, which is the only light around. And in him there is no cause for stumbling, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness with everybody else and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He cannot see. Cannot even see the difference between darkness and light. Love your enemies, Jesus said, and pray for those who persecute you. That is real light in darkness, let me tell you. in the darkness of hostility and hatred. That's real light. And this is not, what I'm sharing with you is not just theological ideas, which is a matter of the head. You remember I said Wednesday night that if you come to this seminar, bring your head and your heart. This is not just theological ideas. This is religious experience that I'm talking about, which is a matter of the, of the heart. You know, John tells us to practice righteousness. How can you do that if you are not righteous? You can't. How do you become righteous? by surrendering your whole being to the one who is righteousness, Jesus. There is sometimes a big difference between our beliefs, that is our doctrines and our religion. So James says, if anyone thinks he is religious but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And John enlarges what it means to be in the light and abide in the light when he says in chapter 2, verse 28, and now, little children, abide in him, abide in Christ, stay with him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him, that is, has been really born again.
whoever does not practice righteousness, he says, is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother or sister. And he says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know him. We know love that he, Christ, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Let's not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And by this we shall know that we are of the truth. I'm talking here about religion now, not about doctrine. And so what we are called to do in the last hour in the face of hatred and hostility is to love. Yes, love those who are hostile toward us. Because Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for them. Look at chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, whoever uh, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Did you catch that? There is no fear in love. We don't have to be afraid to love one another. This is, this is pure divine love that he's talking about. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And then chapter 5, beginning with verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, overcomes that kind of worldly thinking and that kind of worldly living. 
And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is what it means to be sanctified in the truth, that God's truth has become our way of life. And when that happens, light comes into darkness. The dark world hates God and his people because it is apparent that they are not of the world. And what does that mean? It means that we don't follow the world's philosophy or participate in its way of life. We are in the world, but not of the world, as has been said so many times. For what purpose? We have a mission that the demands of which are the greatest in the last hour. Jesus has sent us into the world to be light and in so doing to reveal his light and expose the works of darkness. And when you do that, you invite hostility. It's inevitable. Let's be ready for it. But let's do what God calls us to do. The purpose so that the world may believe that you, Father, have sent me, as Jesus says, and loved them even as you loved me. This is when love, agape love, divine love, sacrificial love, counts the most. Light shines the brightest when the darkness is the deepest, just as darkness and hate are synonymous so light and love are synonymous. And the danger, the danger is that to reject this love, to refuse to fulfill this demand of the last hour mission, no matter what the cost would be to sink back into darkness, which is the dominion of the devil who is the source of all hatred and all hostility. By this it is evident, says John, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. This is chapter 3, verse 10. Whoever does not practice righteousness, especially in the most difficult of times, is not of God. nor is the one who does not love his brother. Ellen White wrote, whoever loves God supremely and his neighbor as himself is keeping the commandments of God. Although he has to meet the annoyances that will come from a fallen world, yet he is not discouraged because Christ has said, I have overcome the world. That's all I have to say. I promised that I would share what I have found in John and I've done my best to do that. I trust that it has been meaningful to you.
and that you are determined to live in the light and as the light. I would like to do what I used to do when I was a Lutheran minister, which Adventists don't really practice. It's not that it's wrong, we just don't do it, that's all. But like I said in the beginning, the thing that I miss the most about teaching in the seminary is the students and my relationship with the students. So I would like to pronounce the benediction on you as we depart today. And after we do that, I'll be willing to stick by for a little bit if you have any questions or comments that you'd like to make. Okay, bow your hearts to God and receive his benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.